As you get settled, we'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, as we open the scriptures, we pray that you'd open our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, dear Father God, to hear what your voice is saying, for when we hear the voice of God, we have life and blessing. So, Lord, have your way in our hearts. Correct us, uh, heal us, instruct us, cleanse us, rebuke us if necessary, and we just want to do your will because that's better by far. In Jesus' name, amen. Parting is such sweet sorrow, said Juliet that night to Romeo in Shakespeare's famous play. Well, Juliet is saying goodnight to Romeo, of course, but what does she mean by parting is such sweet sorrow? Well, their sorrowful parting is also sweet uh, because it makes them think about the next time that they're going to see one another. That is not the case here in Acts chapter 20. No sweetness in the parting because Paul the apostle knows he's never gonna see these dear pastor friends again, at least in this life, which causes Paul to give one dynamic, impassioned farewell speech, uh, which is the subject of our reflection and study uh, this morning. It fills half the chapter of chapter 20. It's an incredible speech. Uh, probably contains the most important words for pastors, for pastors, bar none in the Bible. It's the most important passage for uh, people who wish to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, with that said, first we need to make our way from Troas down along the uh, western coastline of Turkey to get near Ephesus, where uh, that speech is going to take place. So let me set you up for the reading that's gonna start at verse 13. So the Sunday night uh, evening service at Troas has come and gone, and it's Monday morning. Now that was the, uh, quite a service, so it went all night long, and there was a death and resurrection <laughs> in the congregation. Uh, Eutychus, uh, it was a wonderful a uh, wonderful incident to uh, talk about and see the Lord's power there. Now it's Monday, it's still Troas, but we, we knew that they wanted to leave the next day, which is why Paul was talking, quote, on and on. It's time for the team to move forward. It's Monday morning, verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, uh, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, uh, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, uh, by the day of Pentecost. So we begin, and if you're taking notes, number one would be time alone, time alone. So uh, 
There are eight men who are traveling with Paul, and Paul walks them out to the boat there at Troas, and waves goodbye and says, I'll meet you around to the next port, but I'm going to take a shortcut. Let's talk about that. I've got some pictures here. First, the missionary journey is winding down. The chapter from verse 13, we are on our way back in red. Back is red, all right? We're in Troas, where Eutychus was raised from the dead. It's Monday morning. Uh, Paul is going to cut across and join them. He's taking the land route. We're going to talk about that. But they're going to sail from Troas, the eight missionary team members. They're going to go around this way, 60 miles this way, 30 miles to cut by land. But verse 13 to the end of your chapter, it covers Troas to, to Miletus. All right? That's the portion of scripture uh, on the map. Now, the next slide will show what has to happen. Troas, the guys get in the boat, they go 60 miles this way. All right? Paul, for some reason, and we're going to talk about that, wants to just walk on his own. So he's going to go 30 miles by land and cross. They're going to meet up here, and then the text continues to tell you what happens. They take three or four days to get to that port where he's going to call his pastor friends down for a farewell speech. And so, oh, by the way, here's Troas. So they leave Monday morning. Uh, if you follow the footsteps of Paul, it's so awesome. You can do that. And I, that's one uh, list of, speaking of buckets, <laughs> uh, my bucket list. <laughs> I, I, I would like to... Uh, I would like to plan a trip to go uh, where Paul walked. And if you want to come with me, uh, pray about it. That would be awesome. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Anybody interested? Yeah. I thought so. All right. From Troas, the guys, eight guys, Timothy and Luke, the more famous names on that boat. Okay. And Paul wants to walk. You can find remnants of that ancient road, the, the shortcut through. That's so Wonderful to imagine Paul on that road. The next slide. He could see them sailing from parts of the walk, right? The next slide. I want to just pause and talk about what is up with putting all the compadres on a boat and saying, you know what? I'm just going to take the land uh, route. I'm going to spend a little time in solitude. And so that would be Point number one, really, uh, time alone. The blessing of solitude. Paul's got a lot on his mind. He's got a lot going on in his heart. He needs some time with the Lord. Is there anything better than a long walk, a leisurely walk in a beautiful place with the Lord Jesus Christ while you're pouring your heart out, especially when you're in a time in your life that's difficult or complicated, to clear your head, to clear and quiet your heart, to talk and pour out your life to the God who created you and knows you better than you know yourself and loves you better than anybody else in the whole world. There's nothing like that. I used to do that. I've done that all my Christian life. It's the best place for me to pray is while I'm walking. I just like to pray out loud, too. If I cannot pray in my head, I just, I, I'll start praying in my head and just 
disappears like a vapor. I need to hear it, and uh, it's nice to walk like that. How many of you are, you're good with silent prayer. You're, you're pretty disciplined mentally. How many of you are more like me? You need to talk to yourself. Well, you're not talking to yourself. But it appears that way. So when you're on your walk and people are walking by and you don't see them, and you're like, and Lord, I just, oh. <coughs> I'm just clear my throat. Whoa. Yeah, so you don't look crazy. Well, Paul's got a lot on his mind. And his life has just been threatened once again. Um, he has spent the last... Uh, a few months at Corinth, a church with a lot of problems and issues. You know, in the bigger picture now, folks, he's done with his missionary journeys. You'll never read about another uh, uh, official outreach, though Paul's life is one big missionary outreach. Wherever he goes, he's a, a missionary for Christ and witnessing. But th- this man has been through a lot. And the deal with why he's walking is because he knows what's coming up. We're going to find out that the Holy Spirit has kind of told him, things are winding down, Paul. You're coming into the, the stretch at the end. And it's going to be hard for you, Paul. So he's thinking. He's praying for strength. He wants to finish well. He's going to go forward. Comfort and wisdom. Assurance. He's compelled to go to Jerusalem. He just wants to make sure he, he does that. Not, you know, it must be so cool to spend uh, days together with those eight men. Spirit-filled Christian men, Bible heroes. But you know what's better than those eight men of God? His unseen friend. Walking with him. The God who created him. Knows the hairs on his head and just loves him to death. And just... Just an awesome thing that Paul is doing. No distractions, no schedule, nobody needing anything from him. What a healing balm for his weary soul to get a little alone time with Jesus. It is 30 miles, just imagine walking toward Petaluma in between Novato there. That's how far it took him in probably a day a day and a half, maybe, a couple days, and it would probably take the same for the boat as well. And so, it's a lot. How about you? You take a walk with your friend? Or do you run on fumes like 80% of most modern-day Christians? Or do you take a walk, isolate yourself, think deeply, Nobody in the background, nothing to do over here. You just got some free time. It's dark, nobody's up. Jesus, our Lord, got up early and went to a solitary place, a place of solitude to lift his heart before his Father God. That's an amazing thing. So I ask you that question. How long has it been since you've gotten alone with God? Nick, I got a new hymn for us. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. Okay, and so now we are, we're going to transition. We, uh, now that he's been filled, he's thrilled to meet up with the eight guys. They've beaten him to the port. Here's the port. It's 
still there, folks. You know why? Because you can trust what you read in the Bible. And so they get on a boat together, and now the next part of our text tells you about the trip from Asos down to Miletus. You could leave that on for uh, just a moment there. And so they're off, verse 17 now. Uh, Three days, your text says, and four stops later, it takes them to get to Miletus, uh, where he's going to send for his pastor friends from Ephesus. All right? And by the way, that's all modern-day Turkey, the big mass there. Now, uh, nearby Ephesus from Miletus, he's going to ask, but he wants to sail past Ephesus. You notice he doesn't go to Ephesus because he really wants to get to Jerusalem by the holiday. We would call it Thanksgiving, but it's the Feast of Pentecost. And he's got an offering that he's entrusted to the elders of several Gentile churches. All eight of those guys represent little churches that have taken an offering for the Christian Jews at Jerusalem who are suffering from poverty. They want to go and bless them. And what a better day to arrive or before that day than the holiday of Thanksgiving where all of, uh, where all of his old friends are. And you know what's driving Paul? Come on. What's pa- driving Paul even more than stopping in to see his friends? He knows he, he was at that church three years. There's no way he can stop and get involved with that. All those people and all those ladies who want to cook him dinner and, you know, I mean, he's a single guy, you know? There are a lot of moms at Ephesus, you know? And a lot of problems. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Two hours? He can't risk that. He needs to be in Jerusalem. Why? He said, I killed people in Jerusalem that called on the name of Jesus. I created... Christian Jewish widows. I want to go back on the birth of the church as a spirit-filled man with these men I've led to the Lord and planted Christian churches all around the world and told them about you guys and they took generous offerings and they're all here representing their churches and they come and they lay the offering down before James, the pastor there at Calvary Chapel, Jerusalem. (laughs) I wondered if you were going to get that or not. And you did. Verse 17. Now, on they go from Miletus. Paul sent to Ephesus. Now it's time to go get those pastors. For the elders of the church, when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears. Although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly, corporately, they met corporately in rented facilities, and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks, didn't matter who you were, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we've seen time alone. Number two would be time to look back and our speech has begun. Thank you for that slide, David. Now the ship has remained in port and they've got a little time so he's gonna send for the Ephesian pastors. Just the pastors, the elders. 
Now, there are three words that are used in this speech to talk about church leaders. Here they are. Elder, overseer, pastor. All three are in the speech. And all three are in the New Testament. And all three are used interchangeably. One is the, uh, an elder is an overseer, an overseer is an elder, uh, an elder is a pastor, pastors, an elder, always in the Bible. Now, they have different kind of nuances in English. In English, we call this guy a pastor. Mostly, we don't usually. It depends on your denomination as well. And so it depends on which translation of the Bible you're reading. King James will call the second one a bishop, right? And so we don't use that word in, in uh, evangelical denominations. And so I throw all of that in for free. <laughs> I just like to note stuff like that. I don't know. But here, I will give you one personal application for it. Do Please notice there's a distinction at the church of Ephesus between an elder and a non-elder because only the elders are invited. Not because they're worth more to God, but because they've been given a different function and calling from the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a movement out there that is anti-local church and anti any kind of hierarchical uh, leadership in the church. My silver bullet to you would be this passage that says send for only the leaders. Send for them. Because in every church, it said in chapter 14 and verse 23, that elders were always appointed in every single location. They're appointed They're different. They're servants. All right. And so that's just something that uh, caused me to start thinking about that. So these men who drop whatever they're doing in Ephesus, they get a a text. (laughs) They get a text. Hey, Paul's in Miletus, and he wants to have a farewell speech, man. So they drop everything they're doing, and they're going to get down uh, the 40 miles or so to go see him. Paul needs to unburden his soul to these guys. How smart is he? Given the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, look, I can't get to the church. It's not practical. I'll never see them again. He knows that. But I can get to the pastors. And if I, if I fire up the pastors, I'm going to get to the church. And so he's using uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so he calls these guys. And just so you know the heart of this, uh, these are some of the guys he led personally to the Lord. He's discipling them. He spent three years of his life with these guys. You've got to get the feeling here. These are his dear babies in the faith, man, some of them. And not only that, for three years, they went through the riot. They went through that lecture hall at Tyrannus. You remember that? And from there, your text says that they evangelized all of modern-day Turkey. From that lecture hall of Tyrannus, these are the guys he calls so he calls to the pastors, they come down, and they're, they're just, they're crying from the get-go, man. Because he's going to say, hey, man, this is it. I'm never going to see you again. So they gather up. Let's look at the opening words. They're fascinating. They are just fascinating. The first thing he says, just ought to just smack you up across the face of your soul, is he says, first of all, opening thing I want to say is, you know the kind of man I was among you and am. You know who I am. You know how I lived among you. What? 
that's the first thing you're going to say? You're not going to talk about the miracles. You're not going to talk about uh, the teaching and the preaching or, or, or the success of the ministry or how the church has grown or, or, or the love of God for crying out loud. What are you going to say? He said, number one, I was an example to you. And he's talking to pastors. Every pastor ought to have this passage burned in their souls on the walls. And any Christian who wants to do ministry ought to look at the same sort of, look at it in the same sort of way. Not about teaching or education or preaching or apostleship training, the incredible time together. He says, you know how I lived my life. I was an example to you. It wasn't just words. Hey, I got a message for you. Look at my life. Look what he could say here, Philippians 4. This, wow. Whatever you have learned, he's telling the Philippians this. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. <laughs> Tilt, my brain. Can you imagine telling somebody, hey man, you may not get a chance to read the Bible. No problem. Whatever you've learned, received, heard from me, seen in me, put it into practice. Imitate me. Anything you see. You see, you see me at work. You see me at school. You see me on vacation. You see me when there's a conflict. You see me when there's a problem. You see me under stress and anxiety. You see me in temptation. You see me in the morning. You see me in the evening. Do everything I say and am, and you'll be okay. What? <laughs> this guy is filled with the Holy Spirit, man. And, and you know, perhaps because he suffered. He suffered more than any other person in the Bible by the record of the Bible. And I think that kind of suffering and love for the Lord really says this. So he says number one to the pastors, look, you know, your words are going to mean, pastors, you're going to go back there with your words. You're going to concentrate. You're going to study your 20 hours for the sermon. You know, it, it really means nothing. That's not what I'm talking about. First, pastors, is sermon preparation. First, you know, follow me. I was an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Your words mean very little if your life doesn't reflect the truth of the message you're bringing. Amen? Amen? The other important thing before we move on is he says, I serve the Lord among you. I hope you caught that. He's not, not saying, hey, I served you. I serve you as an indirect result of, first and foremost, I serve God. And listen to me. In everything you're doing, it better be for the Lord Jesus Christ because someday, very soon, he's going to ask of you to do something that you would only do for God Almighty. I mean, the Christian life as well. You've got to be first and foremost. The reason I get up and do what I do isn't for the church, isn't for my paycheck, isn't for my reputation, isn't for your benefit. It's for him. Because if it isn't, you're, it's going to be nasty. You're going to start feeling uh, resentful. You're going to start feeling, you know, bitter. You're going to get your nose out of joint a little bit. And you're going to start feeling a little proud and all of this. Hey, I'm a slave of God indebted to him 
everything I say and do is because I think of the cross. I think of what God did for me. And from day one, all I wanted to do was bless him. Thank you. Live your life of ministry and your Christian life as one big thank you card to the Lord. And you'll never run into trouble. They'll never stop you. You will be unstoppable because you're not doing it for your mom or your dad, your sister, your brother, your little kid, for an income, for praise, for adoration, nothing. You're doing it because God Almighty got a hold of you and lavished his love and his grace and his mercy on an undeserving hell-bound sinner and said, you know, instead of hell and the wrath of God, I'm going to lavish out on you mercy and grace and forgiveness and eternal life, and you're going to reign and rule forever and ever with me. And I've got a throne and a crown waiting for you. And everything you do, you're thinking, let me thank you. <laughs> he said, I serve the Lord among you. Let's serve the Lord, amen? Colossians 3, can't leave without this. I'm sorry. Whatever you do, let's just say that. Just say whatever you do. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. Well, I'm not in ministry. What does it say? Whatever you do, whatever you do, uh, you will never fail if what's behind whatever you do is love and gratitude to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's no stopping you. There's no derailing you. But uh, my friend, you will be derailed if you've got it backwards and you're serving a lesser thing than that. Then he talks about humility, and I do want to just mention the tears. You don't picture Paul as a, a sentimental crier, right? I picture Paul as, let's get this done, let's evangelize the world. Do you know that he traveled in his missionary journeys 12,000 miles, combination land and sea, over 12 plus years, evangelizing 1,500 square miles? That's an amazing thing. And in all of that, there are going to be some tears. The tears are investing into lives, and when it doesn't go well. He has a pastor's heart. Just look at Corinth. They're adding to his burden. He says, men, you want to serve God? When you go back there, just know, tears are part of it. You may not see it. You just see the the guy up there using his gifts and whatever, uh, but there are private moments of tears in the ministry. You invest in somebody's life. You're pouring your heart and your soul, as he did in Corinth. And then they're falling into sexual immorality. They're fighting. They're causing division. I'm just quoting from Corinthians. They're getting drunk at the love uh, home fellowship groups and carousing. First Corinthians chapter 11. Drunk on the communion wine. You don't think there's tears. There's tears. There's tears, he's telling these pastors. Don't be afraid of heartbreak. You can have heartbreak. If you're doing your job as a Christian, you're going to have a disappointment. But you're going to have comfort and joy as well. So he mentions that. And I, I can't, 
I can't leave without saying, look, look at that. Repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ was his message. Never in the Bible will you find a better definition of what it means to be a Christian in one verse. And in the Greek, in the grammar, it is two faces of one coin. They're not two different things. This is what it means. Repentance, metanaeo in the Greek, as I've said many times, a change of heart, change of mind. But look at the beauty toward God. Real repentance is a change of mind that shows evidence in a change of direction toward God. There's a lot of people who have remorse and regret and get emotionally stirred and say the sinner's prayer, but they go off in the same direction as they were before. That's not repentance. Repentance is toward God. Everything is a different shape and direction, right? And then he says, and trust, simple trust in Jesus, because you, my friend, are going to fall short. And all he asks for is just trust me, walk with me. That's a gospel. All 13, 14 letters that he writes elaborates on that verse. Repentance, repentance saves souls. A lot of Christians don't want to even bring that up. Repentance is what starts the change that brings eternal life. And now, compelled by the Spirit, let's move on, 22 to 24. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit's warning me, prison hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So time alone, time to look back, and now time to look ahead. And Paul shares his prospects fresh from the Holy Spirit, his forecast, stormy weather ahead, Paul. Now, verse 24, so beautiful. I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, testifying of God's grace. One of my life verses, I read it when I was 19 years old, boom, it's been in my heart ever since. Uh, Jordan, my daughter's Jordan, email, her email is this verse, Acts 20, 24. And uh, Jordan, wherever you are, I wanted to say, you're doing it. You're doing your verse. Even with Kabuki syndrome, it's got dealt a tough blow with a disability. You're doing it, Jordan. We're proud of you. Uh, Paul's conveying a sense of spiritual constraint. Check this out, because this is a theological underpinning that keep you safe from bad theology. He's saying, it's the spirit that's pushing me into stormy times to come. Hardships in prison, the Holy Spirit says, and now bound by the spirit, deo in the Greek. It means to fasten or to chain or to constrain. He's saying, it's the Holy Spirit is got me, and he's got me, and he's taking me ahead, and he's telling me, tough times ahead. What up, faith preachers? What up with this verse? The Holy Spirit's telling him, you know what's ahead? Prison and hardships. Every time I'm turning the, 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 the clicker, <laughs> charades, sounds like, uh, um, 
God wants only the best for you, my friend. God wants to prosper you. In fact, God gave me a, oh, sorry, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to get in trouble. I just, I'm hearing the email, so I'm just going to stop right now. Listen, listen, listen. What was God telling him? The best Christian that ever lived on the face of the planet and did more for Jesus Christ than anybody else in the whole entire world. Paul, it's my will. You're going forward, and it's going to hurt because I got a plan, man. And he's saying, the Holy Spirit's just warning me, prisons, prison and hardship is waiting for me. He says, I'm bound up, driven to walk straight into the hornet's nest because God's saying, I got a plan. I got you, Paul. Let's go talk to Nero. Let's go talk to Herod. Let's go talk to the famous people down there that control the whole world. But to get you there, I gotta get, you got to get arrested. And they're going to treat you poorly. But you know what? You're going to lead the, the guard who's guarding you to the Lord. And you're going to be able to write to the Romans, oh, by the way, those in Caesar's household greet you because he was in Caesar's prison. He says, you okay with that, Paul? And Paul says, let's do this. You got me. Let's do this. Acts chapter 9, the Lord, the Holy Spirit tells Ananias about Paul when he's blinded, going, what happened to me off of his horse? He says, hey, don't be afraid of this guy. It's his destiny to go before kings for me. Well, (laughs) that's a nice honor. But it's going to cost him something. And that's okay. That's okay. You know why it's okay? He goes, "Here's here's my key. Here's, here's my life first. He says, he says uh, self-preservation is not a big deal for me. Self-preservation is not a big deal for me. He says, I would rather please God than preserve self. I would rather please God than preserve self. He says, my, my life is worth nothing to me. My life is worth nothing to me. I don't care about me, he's saying. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength, and God can use me to change the whole world. Why? Because I don't care about my life. Only one thing matters to me, and that's finishing the task God has created for me to do. And whether that means it's going to be through sickness, which he had, or a thorn in my flesh, or imprisonment, or ultimately death, beheaded in Rome. So what does it matter? My life means nothing to me, whether by life or by death. The important thing is that God is honored and God hits the bullseye. I wanted to tell you, uh, some conversations just stay with you for life. One such conversation, riding on a bus, the west side of Japan, beautiful coastline, going to a place called Notohanto with a very dear Christian brother, a little bit older than me, kind of mentoring me at the time, early 30s. Me, I was in my early 30s. And he said, how's it going in your Christian life? How's it going? We're talking about spiritual things. And he says, here's the thing that matters most for me. I see myself as an arrow. And when I got saved, God just fired me. And all I want, my life's goal, is that arrow hits the bullseye for which God intended it. 
when he thought of Tom Hastings, when he thought of me, when he created me, when he took the time to knit me in my mother's womb and give me my particular personality and ordain an entire life for me to live, all I care about is, please, God, I don't care if the arrow has to go this way or that way or this way or, or a short life, a long life, a poor life, a rich life, a life of trouble, a life of ease, a life of honor, a life of dishonor. As long as it just hits the mark and in all of that, God is praised and people hear about his grace. People come to know him and God says, well, please, boom. Bingo, you did it. That's what Paul's saying. Just doesn't matter. The therapist would, would have a hard time with the statement, uh, my life doesn't matter to me. I hear a prescription for antidepressants. <laughs> I really do. My life doesn't matter to me. And of course, to be fair, he's not saying, he's not, there's a comma there. What really matters more than my own life is that God's will is done for me. 25 to 31. Now, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. You guys, are, this is it. We're never going to see each other again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole counsel, the whole will of God, counsels in King James. 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, there's that episkopos word. Be shepherds, there's the pastor word of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. All right, time alone, time to look back, time to look ahead, and now time to warn. Well, he's saying, I'm never going to see you again. There's a song he won't be singing anymore. It's called Lean On Me. Let me give you a couple lines. Lean on me when you're not strong. He's got the pastor brothers here, right? Lean on me when you're not strong, men. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. You could say, you just call on me, brothers. When you need a hand, we all need somebody to lean on. Never again. He led them to the Lord. He's a pillar. He's a pillar. There was stability in that church. Nothing brings stability like the guy who planted the church. He's the dad. He's the father. He's the guy with the vision. He's the one God used to start the whole deal. And he says, I'm gone. You'll never see me again. I just picture as a church planner talking to the guys and saying, hey, I'm gone. I'm leaving. Here's what I would say to you. Wow, what, what a bunch of emotion. And out comes uh, the smelling salts in case that they are spiritually drifting or drowsy. Uh, these are strong Words. He says, there's going to be a little vulnerability in my absence. Uh, so listen up, gentlemen. Number one, brothers, you have a charge to keep. 
You've been given a sacred trust by God. Discharge your duties completely and fully, especially in my absence, because, number one, lost souls are in the balance. He says, I'm clean. I did everything I know to make sure every soul that I ever came in contact with shall not perish but have everlasting life. I've given them the way out. He says, I, and that, this is big. For him to be able to say, uh, there's no guilt. I have no guilt. There's no blood on my hands. It's their own responsibility. If anybody in my sphere of influence ends up at the great white throne judgment and hears those terrible words, depart from me, I never knew you, I will have contributed nothing to that. On that day, I was just clear. I told everybody I did everything. I cried to them, I prayed with them, I taught them. I loved them, I lived right before him, I gave to him, I served him, I pleaded with him. I cried and I wept and I prayed. If he perishes, it wasn't because I didn't say enough or didn't do enough. He says, I'm innocent. And he's telling them that because he wants them to follow that example, to know you better follow my example or you will be sharing some responsibility in somebody's lostness. And that, that could happen. Spurgeon has a great quote, man. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. <laughs> If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Amen? Yeah. Paul said that it's not one of my problems. It's not going to be one of his problems. He says, because I told the whole story. He said, the whole council. You got the A to the Z. Uh, you got the grace of God, you got the judgment. You got the love of God, you got the wrath. You got the joys of heaven, you got the agonies of hell. You got the living by grace, and you've got the call to holiness. I told you the whole story. I didn't just do this part. The grace of God, the love of God, the joys of heaven, and living by grace. That's false. It is false. It is a lie to stop there. It's a lie, it's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. It's the whole council. So I, I love Calvary Chapels. I'm just gonna give Calvary Chapel a shout out. <laughs> we go from Genesis to Revelation, not always in the order. We're always in a book of the Bible. You notice the ladies' Bible study? What are they studying? They're studying the Bible. Concept. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible, the word of God, the whole thing, not just the pretty parts. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you really, before we move on, this, I'm Googling around, I found this. 2009, seven prominent Italian earthquake experts were sentenced to six years in prison for manslaughter. 309 people perished in an earthquake. Here's why they were charged and sentenced and sent to jail. The seven, and I'm quoting, most of them seismologists and ge geologists were members of the National Commission for the Forecast and Prevention of Major Risks, which met shortly before the quake struck after weeks of frequent small tremors 
but did not issue a safety warning. So here's what they did. They, they formed a committee and they said, we're gonna pay you to sit on a commission and warn us when there might be a major earthquake. They got together. The tremors were being tracked and they said nothing. They hauled him into court and said, manslaughter. You knew, it was your job, we commissioned you. That was your deal, that was who you are. Let me read the, the, the title of your, your committee. The National Commission for the Forecast and Prevention of Major Risks. You know what I'm gonna say, don't you? You know who sits on another commission, right? Everyone in this room. The Heavenly Commission of, let me see, Heavenly Commission for the Forecast and Prevention of Major Risks. You know anybody who's in a major risk right now? You, do you feel any tremors, <laughs> you experts in the book with the Holy Spirit in your heart? You see anybody kind of uh, possibly under some kind of threat? And you say nothing, you pray nothing, no tears, nothing, something's wrong. That's why these guys had to go to jail. Something's wrong, right? Not everybody's an evangelist. Please don't try this at home. <laughs> it's a calling, it's a gift to be an evangelist, right? But uh, Jesus said, let your light shine so everybody will see you're a city on a hill, man. You're fishers of men. We all share the same sort of call. And so he says, I wasn't afraid to tell you the truth. I'm not a cut and paste pastor. I'm not a cut and paste pastor. The other uh, Wednesday night, I went into Adam's office to whine and complain. <laughs> and I said, you know what stories come in? Oh, I hate that story. There's a man of God who's kind of a hero and there's prophet of God. And the prophet of God deceives the man of God who's the hero. He falls for it. This guy deceived him and lies. And then God speaks the judgment through the prophet of God. Oh, and, and Adam goes, just skip it. <laughs> yeah, see? See? Do you know how hard it was to find sermons and commentaries on that verse? Very hard. Why? Because they skip it. There are a lot of passages that get leapfrogged. Paul said, whole counsel, A to Z, get the whole thing. Because that's a message. That's the message, hey, we gotta move on. Uh, the most disconcerting news of all comes 29 to 31. He says, uh, pastor, so just picture the pastors on the front rows, okay? He's looking at the pastors and he's saying, when you go back to Ephesus, that flock that you're gonna look at, just want you to know they belong not to you, but to God. And here's how he purchased them. He purchased them with his blood. So when you look out over the flock, just know he's entrusted you to care for his people, not yours or the church's, his people whom he purchased with blood, his own blood. Whoa. Lest you want to mess around with that. I don't think you really want to mess around with that. He says, and just so you know, you better be on guard because men are going to rise up and they're all gonna be about themselves 
and they're going to twist the truth to draw people away to themselves. Watch out for that. He says, even in your own church, from among your own people. I like this part because I feel really good about it. This, he says, this is nothing new. I know I sound like a broken record. Verse 31, I've, I've told you this night and day, night and day for three years and notice each one of you. So he didn't just say it to the group. He grabbed each guy and every day he kept on going say, hey, a time is coming. The enemy's gonna come in. Stand shoulder to shoulder to somebody. From your own company, they're gonna rise up and cause trouble and pull people away and say terrible things and be led away and we all have stories of churches destroyed destroyed the work of God by savage wolves where are these people they're on TV they're in the bookstores they're on the internet my job is not to answer to you but one day God will say Ross I gave you a flock They were mine. I bought them with my own blood. And I asked you to protect them from these wolves. How'd you do? That is why I'm not afraid to point out different heresies and say, you know, I'm going to fluff, fluffle? What's the word? Feathers when you... Ruffle! (laughs) Sounds like. Sounds like. (laughs) This is called an interactive sermon. All right? (laughs) I'm not afraid to fluffle, ruffle, or whatever. I'm not afraid to ring that chicken around like this. Is it a chicken? Yeah, I'm not. I mean, come on. Uh, On that day, I'm not going to have you guys all put in a word for me. Oh, yeah. Hey, Lord, 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 Lord. Hey, listen here. I was under a lot of pressure. It was the year 2014, Lord. You know, all his friends and <clears throat> all of that. <clears throat> it's getting long. I gotta stop. <laughs> Let's finish up. Ready? <laughs> now I commit to you, I commit you rather, to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Love this. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Wow, he supported the team. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, It is more blessed to give than receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, and they all wept, and they embraced and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they'd never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Time alone, time to look back, time to look ahead, time to warn, and your guess for the last one? Time to... Time to go. Very good. Almost. Maybe next week. (laughs) (laughs) Time to go. He says, I'm leaving. Guys, listen. What a shock not to have the Apostle Paul as the pastor of the church anymore. And he's leaving it to these guys, right? He says, hey, but you got God. 
I'm leaving, but you've got God. And God will give you everything you need. The gospel, with the gospel and God's word, you've got everything, and he's going to see you through. Now, interesting, he closes out, and I bring my remarks to a close with his. Look at this. He goes back to his example, and he wants to leave them, and you often do this when you give a parting farewell speech. Leave the most important thing for the end. So that's what they take away. And he's talking about money. And so here's what he says to these pastors, because it was alive and well, the abuse of Christian congregations back then. And that is why Paul did not use his right to be supported, but he worked full time and preached full time as well through many seasons. At times he did receive support, especially from the Philippians. Uh, He did say, look, this is the way that we're supposed to uh, receive support. David, that slide, 1 Corinthians 9 14. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Okay. So he said, but I, I couldn't do that because I had a silence. Everybody was going to slander me. So he said, so I made tents. So I always had money to give. So number one, he's saying, guys, pastors, listen, when you go back, there's going to be a temptation because you're always going to be in need in the ministry. You always got a missions trip. You always got a building. You always got leaks in the roof. You got a lot of problems. <laughs> you're going to have the temptation to look at people and see money. Don't do that. Look to God. Look at people as ministry minded. He says, these two hands supplied all I need. So if you're not making a living by the congregation, Go out and get a job and work. And because it's not about making a living, it's about preaching the gospel. And God is the one who takes the offerings and supplies for the minister. He's saying this. He's saying to the pastors, pastors, don't become takers. Don't become takers. Be a giver. Give like the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be about the money and the numbers and the fundraising and then your golden chariots, gold-plated chariots and your gold-plated jets and okay. (laughs) Really, the last thing I want to do when I look at a person is think about what they bring. So I opted out of looking at personal records. I manage the finances with the business administrator but I never see any names from day one. It's my choice. Some pastors look, some pastors don't. I don't look. One of the pastors who looks said to me, aren't you spiritual enough to handle looking down and seeing who gives and who doesn't? You know what I said? No, I'm not. (laughs) I am not spiritual enough. The last thing I wanna know is what you walk in the room and me thinking, oh, I need to talk to you about something, but oh no, it's him or her or whatever, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Hello, amen. (laughs) All right, all right. So yeah, so now if you're doing it to impress me, it's over, right? (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) There, there, There are people who are looking, by the way. The Lord Jesus Christ would be one of them. That said, moving on. <laughs> yeah, I love I, I just, I just love it. He, and by the way, when did we ever know that Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive? None in the Gospels. 
Well, John, last sentence, John 21, last sentence, he said, hey, I suppose, by the way, if you think this is all Jesus did and said, you're crazy. Because all the books in the world, if we wrote it all down, all the books in the world wouldn't be able to contain what Jesus did and said. So, there, uh, you know, Paul hung out with Peter. Peter heard all of that stuff. So Peter passed on to Paul and then to Mary. Just kidding. <laughs> Peter, Paul, Mary. It was, oh, I see how you're going to be. All right. He passed it on. He said, hey, man, the Lord used to say to us all, he used to gather us around and said, hey, man, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so now we know we have that little thing. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, please. I tell pastors that I had the privilege of teaching as a seminary professor to them. Listen, and, and a true pastor is like this. Let me give you an example. I was selling suits at JCPenney's at Cottingtown Mall 25 years ago looking for a place. We just got married 28 years ago. I didn't have a place to, to bring this. And I, I was looking and looking, nothing opened up. I got a phone call that said, hey, this church in San Jose is hiring and they're considering you. Would you like to interview? It was a big church with 12 pastors and, and the pastor who preached was dynamic and I just thought, I'm gonna go from Cottingtown Mall <laughs> to this church and get to preach and learn under all of these guys. Oh, please, God. And I'm sitting at the boardroom table where they're all this huge, gigantic, 25 guys, at least, all in suits, asking me questions and this and that and this. And then one of them says, how much do you need to come here? How much in your budget? How much? We just want to know a number. Just what does it take for you and your expecting your first child how much do you need for that? And I said, are you kidding me? I said, I would pay you guys to be able to come on board this church. I meant it. <laughs> I got hired, too. <laughs> Apparently, they liked that answer. Any preacher, <laughs> any preacher, and I real, that's the first thing I thought was, I don't care how much you give me. I don't care. That's what was in my heart. Now, obviously, when the money's not there, you care, right? <laughs> you know, all well and good and a beautiful, you know, eloquent sermons may come and go, but when practical reality set in. But God just takes care of you. Paul says, look, I know what it's like to have a lot of money. I'm content. I know when I'm hungry and don't have any money. I'm content. I've learned the secret. Christ strengthens me. It's him who gives me the strength. Philippians chapter four, and he says, and my God shall meet all of your needs and mine according to his riches in glory. Are you ready for my last five, one minute takeaway? <laughs> Just a minute. Listen, look at it this way. Last week was the shortest sermon I ever preached <laughs> in my life. <laughs> you were here to witness it, all right? Some of you missed it. How many of you missed it? Where were you? Just kidding. <laughs> I'm making up for it today. Just look at it that way. All right, here's my five points. This is a long speech. I'm blaming Paul. Here we go. Five takeaways. They're just one sentences. No panics. 
Five lessons for pastors and Christians with, who are ministry-minded. Number one, get some alone time in with the Lord. It's good for your soul. You can say amen. amen. Thank you. Two, let your primary motivation in everything you do be serving the Lord in response to his love to you. You can say amen again. Three. Oh, you're writing. You're busy. You can't do write and say amen. All right. Just saying. Number. Oh, she, she's a teacher. This is number three. <clears throat> Care more about pleasing God than preserving your life. I like that one. Four. Tell the whole story, not just the popular pleasant parts. Oh, a little louder. Thank you. And last but not least, for heaven's sake, if you know the earthquake's coming and you feel the tremors, at least give your friends living on a fault line a heads up. Amen. Let's pray. Amen. (laughs) Lord Jesus, we recognize that you're here what a what a speech man to have time to just go over it and reflect on the beautiful heartfelt inspired words to men entrusted with the flock of god bought and paid for by the blood of god surely there's some invaluable insights here help us to take them to heart and live by them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. Well, as Christians are praying for those who are not saved in this room, I'm going to ask you if you're not a Christian yet, you're not right with God, it's so easy. Don't leave here without saying the sinner's prayer and trusting God. You'll change, change your heart toward God. You'll live toward God by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, If you need to do that, why not today? Why not today? You don't have tomorrow. You don't know. You don't need to have all the answers. He's got all the answers. All you need to know is I got a big need. I believe in God. Jesus died on the cross for me, and I want to be saved. I don't want to live for him. That's enough. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If that's you, just want to slip your hand up and say, include me in that closing prayer because I want to give my heart over to God today. I want to know that if I die, things are right. I'm going to live forever. Anybody to my left, anybody in the middle, anybody to my right. Now I'm going to talk to Christians. Christians, if God was speaking to you today about taking that long walk with him, stirred you up and said, boy, it's been a while, like to hear from you. <laughs> Just check in with you. Check in with me. If he stirred you up and you want to just say, "Oh, I heard that loud and clear. I'm going to do something about it." Just slip your hand up and say, "Include me in your closing prayer." Father, God, for these many, many hands that have been raised up, Lord, just to make a commitment and say, "God, I, you're you're alive. You spoke. I heard it." I long for that. Help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to have a little repentance toward God and simple trust in Jesus. 
to take some time with you alone. Heart to heart, face to face, eyeball to eyeball as it were. Spend time with you. We thank you for these souls, Lord, and we thank you for altar calls. We just want to not contribute to anybody not finding you. We thank you. We ask your blessing now as we go our way in your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Prayer at the cross. If not, we'll see you Wednesday night or next Sunday. God bless you.